So I'm excited today to get into our new sermon series that we're calling Trials, Tribulation, and Triumphs. Uh, how many of you know that the enemy, as Jared said today, he's going to put you through some stuff. He's going to test you. He's going to find out how grounded you are. He's going to find out just exactly where you stand in the name of Jesus. Uh, you could bring it down just a little bit more. It's a little hot for me. I'm sorry. I appreciate our, our uh, media team, by the way. Do a great job with all of our media. We've got Greg and Donnie, kind of the original team back there, uh, rotating in today, doing a fine job. Um, the reason... God, I believe, kind of put this on my heart is because I think sometimes uh, the church at large, I'm just going to give you a mini little introduction of what's on my heart before I get into my notes. I think the church at large has kind of, um, they, they put this message out that when you give your heart to God or when you become saved or you decide you want to become a Christ follower or maybe you've heard the word regenerated or born again uh, of your spirit, I think for some reason, the message comes across as when that happens, everything's going to be good and you're not going to have any more troubles. What I've learned in my walk is that actually just the opposite happens. When I decided to be fully dedicated, the enemy decided that he was going to be fully on my tail. So um, I had to learn how to put some things in my life to protect me. I had to learn how to put some principles of God in my life, some principles of the Word of God, not just what somebody told me, not just what sister so-and-so said or what I thought might be, but I began to figure out for myself what it is that I need to do to keep the enemy at bay because he is constantly running for you. Has anybody ever experienced that in your Christian walk? He wants all of you, not just some of you. He's trying to take you out. And I think that what happens is when we don't preach this message enough on how to walk uh, uh, in grace, knowing that God's got you protected and how to put these things in play, people that aren't mature Christians or they haven't had a lot of time uh, walking with God to develop this, this I'll call it a spiritual skill set. I almost called it a skill set. A spiritual skill set, a repertoire, some weapons, some things you can fight with. I think that if they're not taught that and taught that quickly and given that message right out of the gate, that they begin to give in to the enemy. And what was once on fire, someone who was once wanting to do all they can for God, uh, you see them begin to kind of wane off a little bit. Uh, you see it in their walk. Maybe, maybe you, not that coming to church makes you saved or not saved, but you begin to see them a little bit bit less frequently at church. You see them a little bit less involved in some of the activities. Uh, you see them not quite associating with like-minded believers quite as much. Not that you have to do that to be saved, but there are some characteristics that you can notice about someone who has given their heart to God that begin to take place in their life. You can see it. How do I know you can see it? Because I are one. I'm one of you, right? That was a joke. I've got dry humor. I am a Christ follower. I am one. So I know what God has done for me. And knowing that the God that I serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's omniscient, omnipresent. He's one God, one creator. You serve the same one that I serve. He's our heavenly father. So what he does for me, he'll do for you. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter about your past. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how you feel. He sent his son to die for you and you are able to walk in victory. But I think sometimes the only message we preach is just walking in victory. So then when we don't feel like we're experiencing victory every day, 
we get defeated. Anybody ever feel defeated? Uh, we've got to learn how to walk in the trials, in the tribulation, and still experience God at the same time. Because if the enemy's relentless and God is all-knowing and omnipresent, they're going to be, I'm not going to say cohabitating, but they're after you at the same time. God's been after you since he was after Adam in the garden. Even though Adam sinned and ran and disobeyed, God still thirsted for the relationship with Adam because we're made to be relational. That's why Eve was made for Adam because God said it's not good for man to be alone. He's been running after us ever since. And then ever since the uh, uh, Satan, the devil, decided that he wanted to become the arch enemy, that's probably not even appropriate because he's, he thinks he's the enemy, but he's already defeated. Ever since he decided he was going to come up with this plan devised uh, uh, around deception, he's been after you too. So you've got both striving for all of your affection. You've got both striving for all of your heart. You've got both striving for all of your time, talent, treasure, and a testimony. Both of them are after you. So you have to develop a skill set because the enemy, he's a deceiver. He will make you think something is that really isn't. He will make you think that something that is bad for you and your Christian walk is really okay. And what I've learned is when you dabble into that, whatever it might be that the enemy's testing you with, he's going to pry into your weakness, by the way. He's not going to pry into where you're not weak. If you're susceptible to addiction, he's going to try to plant a little something into your life. And how many of you know that our, our, our hearts are like idol factories? It becomes addicted really fast to stuff. We just produce things and if you don't have it filled with the spirit well then you have some issues because the enemy is going to pry right in to what your weakness is amen. amen so that is kind of where all of this sermon was born out of or this sermon series today i will probably talk mostly about trials and tribulations and if we got really deep into studies i would contend that it's mostly about trials and not so much tribulation because there are there is a difference between the two but they kind of sort of, you know, like I said before about some of the other stuff, they cousins. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you have one and you have the other one at the same time. It's like envy and jealousy. You know, they kind of like to party together. You know what I'm saying? They don't separate themselves too often. So, um, as a Christ follower, I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I want to see the power of God in my life. I want to see the power of God in the life of my family, and I want to see the power of God in the life of those around me that I associate with, and that includes you here today in this church that we call the Foundation Family. It is my desire that you come to know Christ as your Savior. That is the number one primary reason why we exist here. And secondly, what I want to see you do is grow in that relationship that you might be able to experience the fullness and the greatness of who He really is. Not just what I like to call entry-level believing. Entry-level believing is enough to get you to heaven. Okay? But when you decide to sanctify yourself from, from some things in life, you will begin to be able to walk with God and experience really who He is. Now the enemy, of course, he's the adversary. He fights against this. His desire is not for us to see God working in our lives. As Jared said today, he wants to still kill and destroy everything about you. He would like for you to view the good things happening in your life or in our lives as the result of worldly systems that we leverage in order to live a good life. The Bible doesn't instruct us to just 
be a good person or to be good people. That is deception of the enemy. Not only does he want you to be that, but he also wants you to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ, which produces goodness. Disciple of Christ comes first, and it will produce goodness. Being a good person doesn't come first. That is made on man-made rules and things about the world. The goodness that is produced as a disciple of Christ is the goodness of God that's manifested in your life. So we must become disciples of Christ. Here's how we define that. We lay down our lives. We drop our crosses. We, we forget about who we are, and we wholeheartedly devote ourselves to God. He demands us to die to ourselves and live for him wow that's out of control he demands for us to die to ourselves how do we do that and live for him to be born again of the spirit, not of the flesh. Galatians 2.20, Paul tells the uh, church that he has been crucified with Christ. That actually, I no longer live, but it's Christ. Somebody say Christ. That lives in me. He says, look, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. Big difference between a good person and being a disciple. I live that life now by faith in who? The Son of God. That is Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was sent to die because you couldn't do it on your own and uh, uh, overcome sin. So he sent his son to die that you might be able to overcome it and stand a chance at living an eternity in heaven. And he said, he loved me so much that he gave his life for me. Paul describes the crucified life further in the uh, book of Galatians as warfare. I think it's important to know that this is not just a walk in the park. You're not going on a date with Jesus. This is a life that you're living that Paul describes as warfare. Not with our hands, not with our bodies, not with things that you would consider to be uh, uh, weapons of warfare of man, but he describes it as warfare and he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'll get back to that in a second. Somebody say struggle. struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, we're at. In a dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, how are you going to fight that being a good person? You're not going to fight it. You're going to get beat down. It's going to be a unanimous decision. Do they do unanimous decisions in use, uh, ultimate fighting? Because I don't watch it. I used to watch boxing. So maybe in the octagon they got that too. A unanimous decision means it wasn't close. You got your butt whooped. All right? You barely stayed on your feet and somebody told you you got your butt whooped because you didn't get knocked out. That's exactly what your walk is going to be in life if you decide that you're going to try to fight this battle with weapons of the world. I like the way that Paul calls it a struggle. There used to be a song that said, I'm coming up on the rough side of the mountain. But I, I'm trying to, trying to think of the tune. 
but I'm not going to sing it because I'm on the podcast and my voice sounds way different on the podcast. By the way, you can, you can hear all of our sermons on, on podcast, by the way, if you, uh, whatever platform that it is that you decide to listen to, not only our, um, our uh, Shine Your Light podcast where we have guests telling their story about doing extraordinary things, uh, being ordinary people, but we also have our sermons being podcast as well. So I'm going to hold off on that old school tune um, because... It didn't come out right the last time on the podcast. (laughs) The crucified life is not for the faint of heart. You can't see this battle. You can't look at this battle. So, fellas, don't be looking over at your spouse like that's the enemy over there. (laughs) You must begin to realize, maybe to a greater degree than you ever have before, that following Christ does not mean that you will not face trials and you will not experience tribulation. If you got some problems in your life right now, I'm going to raise mine first. Raise your hand. The enemy not going to let you go. We got problems, man. We're fallen humanity. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. Because we can't win without Him. So we've got to have Jesus in our lives in order to be able to face these trials and tribulation. Spiritual battle wholeheartedly following, laying down our lives, crucified to the old man. Old things pass away and all things made new. Leaving the old things behind. Don't try to hold on to what you was running from in the first place. We must know how to experience trials. If you've noticed on our Facebook page here recently, we've been putting some posts on there that just, I'm not going to say they're random questions because they're somewhat thought out, but they're looking for a little bit of interaction from those who kind of scroll up and down our page. Our creative pastor likes to call it, stop the scroll. What can we put on there to stop the scroll and get people to visit what it is that we're saying? One of the questions this week, I think it was this week, was what is your favorite book in the Bible? And I noticed that he said his was the book of James. And uh, he listed all the things that he liked about the book. And one of the verses that we are going to bring from the book of James, and we did about a 10-week study on that about a a year ago this time, I'm going to go back to James, and I'm going to tell you what he says about trials in your life. It's James 1 and 2. And that verse in James says, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, he didn't say be okay with it, learn how to deal with it. I mean, he took it to another level and said that we actually consider, should consider it joy. Not just joy, I'm talking pure joy. Now, there's some things that happen in my life I have a hard time considering that is pure joy. So... I wasn't going to do this, but maybe I'll try it. I want to role play with somebody. I can pick on my brother because he's used to being picked on. He's superintendent, so he get picked on 24-7, right? So um, <laughs> I could say it, but he can't, so I say it for him. Uh, so if he were to come in, just give me like some rent. So say I'm a therapist, right? Say I'm a therapist and Russ has got some issues going on. Now, we're not talking about real issues, so think of one that you're not really dealing with so you don't have a full-blown session with me here. And you come in the office, and I'm like, hey, Russ, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you today. Hey, man, how's things been going? What 
what's going on today? I'm the therapist. He's the patient. What's been going on, man? You, anything happening in life that we need to pray about? Or I don't want to work anymore. Don't want to work anymore. Okay. People treating you bad, Darren. People, man, Russ, people's treating you bad. That's great, man. I love that. Man, that's awesome. I mean, is Paul telling us this? People's treating you bad, man. Yes. When I came to work, I said, God, will you let somebody treat me bad today? James said, I'm supposed to consider that joy. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Right. I would say, Russ, tell me a little bit more about that, man. And we would get into some dialogue to try to create some things and some tools that might be able to help him cope with some things that are going on at work. So Paul's telling us to consider it pure joy. So to understand this as deep as I think you should, you got to dig a little bit deeper because this verse is not talking about in the flesh. He's talking about in the spirit. Paul is all about the growth of your spirit and the spirit man. If you read any of Paul's writings, he is always talking about what you shouldn't be doing in life in order to please God and live holy. And he's also talking about when you do that, how the spirit of God will manifest itself in your life. He's usually writing to churches or people that are at churches in certain places like uh, Ephesus, uh, um, Colossians, uh, uh, all the books that he wrote, two-thirds back there um, in the Bible, including uh, some that we've read here today. So James is talking about these trials, and he's talking about making a spiritual shift. Because we're not used to the example that I just gave you, right? Counting these things as joy. Well, see, the reason why we can't understand it is because we're humanity, and God is the Creator, we're the created, so then we can't understand in our flesh about what all this means unless we address it in the spirit. You can't address that in the flesh. That's why it didn't make sense when you were observing. But in the spirit, we know that when we have trials, or you need to know, that's part of why we're preaching the sermon series, is that God is always up to something in your life, even through the trials. Yes, people who follow Christ will experience trials that God allows to happen in our life. He's omnipotent. I can't answer all the reasons why, but I can tell you what happens through the trial if you decide to fully devote yourself to Him and allow for Him to handle His business in your life, in your spiritual life. Trials have to, you have to take a shift, and trials now become not what they used to be. Paul says to count it as joy. How can we get people to understand this? We must understand what Paul is saying or telling us, but rather we must use the trials as an opportunity to grow spiritually. You will experience trials. They will not be fun in the flesh, but they will grow you in your spiritual life. Anybody ever had a fun trial? If you did, you can meet me or you know, message me on Facebook, and I want to find out how you have fun trials. Trial's not fun. But we can consider them pure joy if we know what's on the other side. It's going to be an elevated way of living by God. I was talking to someone recently who uh, went through some things and they're on the other side of the trial and uh, they just can't believe how good life is. They were in a situation of oppression. 
Because you know the enemy likes to do that to you. They were being treated in ways that they shouldn't have been treated. People were saying things about them that weren't true. People were lying. But all along, I would talk to this person periodically every month or two or three. Doesn't go to this church. The person is now in a situation that's greater than they've probably been in potentially in all of their life because what they learned in the trial were spiritual things that helped them get through it and now they are better prepared for their future. God prepares you in trials for more. We've got to understand that not only will you experience trials, but the trials will test your faith. Trials, people say, well, you shouldn't question God. Well, I'm humanity, right? He my daddy. He's my spiritual father. Sometimes I like to ask him a question. And I'm allowed to do that. Questioning the power of God in those things kind of start potentially crossing over. But you can ask God all the questions you want to ask Him. What are you trying to show me here, God? How come I'm experiencing these things, God? Where are you at in this? What are you wanting me to see? What will come out of this, and how can I grow spiritually through this situation? I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. I can't understand it. I don't even know why you allow for it to happen in my life, but I'm going to do what James says, and I'm going to try to grow from this. I believe that part of the answer of understanding why it happens in our lives prepares us for our next level of ministry, prepares us for our next level of the calling in our life, and it prepares us for the next level of living out our purpose in life. James continues in chapter 1, uh, verse number 3 and 4, after he says to consider it pure joy when you face trials, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance, this is critical here. This is translated as, let God have some time to work in your life. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Remember the sippy cup to the steak, right? You first, you know, when you first get saved, you on the bottle. Or one of them little things the babies eat out of now, got the food in the thing, and they just like suck on the little thing on the bag. Whatever that is. Don't they have those, Lindsay? Food in the bag? <laughs> I think that's replaced for a bottle now. If I had a kid, he'd just be eating in bags of food. <laughs> he'd be all right. <laughs> Let perseverance finish its work so that you may continue to be mature. Get to the good stuff. Let it be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Nothing in your life, you shouldn't be lacking anything if you can allow for perseverance to finish its work through trials and tribulation of your life. We're not going to get to the triumphs today. I didn't even plan on it. We're not going to get to the celebration today because if you can't get through this, you can't never celebrate. Let it mature and complete. Let persevere, perseverance mature, complete, lacking nothing. Paul is continuing to make a shift or he has shifted trials into another classification here. He's shifting it into pure joy and an opportunity to develop and morph into who God made you to be. It's not just for face value anymore. It's not, it just is what it is. It's something deeper than that. It's deeper than the prognosis that you got from the doctor. 
It's deeper than the prognosis that you got from the therapist. And I'm not discounting them. We need all the therapists and doctors that we need. But it's a spiritual matter. This is spiritual warfare and the enemy trying to steal from you. And you've got to shift it over to a spiritual matter. It's a shift in how you think. I'd like to call it maybe a paradigm. Trials now shouldn't be what you always thought they were. The shift is an opportunity to mature as a Christ follower. Romans 8.28 tells us a little bit about that. And we know in all things. Is that just the victory? Usually when people paraphrase this verse or quote this verse, they're not talking about victory, are they? They're talking about the troubles and trials that they have in life, and they go to this. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who, are, who have been called according to His purpose. That means even in the trials and tribulations. In all things. I have to read something directly from my notes here for you. And the only way that I know how to say it, we need to stop preaching peaches and cream and we need to start preaching spiritual warfare because that's absolutely what we are involved in. Christianity is not a walk in the park. I swore I wasn't going to make a quote about going down and seeing O'Shack Hennessy and telling him exactly what you did. <laughs> you need to pray to God and tell him exactly what you did. It's spiritual warfare. It's not peaches and cream. Don't put that out there for no snurman snippet this week now. We must know that we are in a battle. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. Christianity is for a man of God or a woman of God to stand up and have courage and faith to do what is right and holy and pleasing in the sight of God. Amen. You must learn about what I want to call the spiritual maturation process or becoming mature. When trying to overcome the trials in our life, or our lives, the problem is we try to fight a spiritual war with worldly weapons, then we want to ask God why He isn't moving in the situation. If I could go to Ephesians... Somebody find me a Bible around here back in the office, Russ. Hunt one down or on the phone. Somebody find me a real Bible. I'm going to get you a verse. Don't mess with the phone. You can't find it on there fast enough. Give me some pages. Give me some pages. We usually download the app in here. Got visitors here and stuff talking about they ain't got no Bibles in the house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we download them on the phone, man. There's multiple ways to get the Word of God today. Boy, they get around and check them tithing envelopes, though. You know what I'm saying? Got them in the back of the chair. <laughs> oh, Lord. Spiritual warfare is no joke. 
You must learn to fight with the weapons that God wants us to fight with. Such as, boy, I hope he comes back with a Bible. We ain't got no Bible in this house, boy. Look, we got to pray. <laughs> I'm sweating it now. But I'm going to paraphrase what I'm looking for. I'm going to paraphrase what I'm... Look up that verse for me about the weapons of warfare. Have your feet, have your loins girt about it with truth. 15, there we go. Ephesians 6. Look that up for me. Ephesians 6, bring it all up here. We got it, baby. No, we found one. One of the parishioners had one. Them super saints had one back here. Boy, this has got to be Linda's. Boy, this yours, ain't it, Linda? Boy, I know it's got to be hers. That's one of them preaching Bibles, boy. Got them tabs on it, whatnot. I ain't even clergy, you know? Where are we at here? Chapter 6. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. So it continues. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist or stand your ground on the evil day. Translate it, day of danger. Having done all you can do, stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, having tightened the belt. Where we at? Where we at? Having the belt of... Oh, you, you got a study Bible here, don't you? The belt of truth. I know where it continues. 14. The belt of truth and having shot your feet in preparation to face the enemy or firmly footed stability. I like these notes here. I love this Bible. That you will be able to stand with the readiness that is produced by the gospel of peace. Paul's giving us some things that we are supposed to fight with. Right. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, pray at all times in the Spirit, not just a yabba dabba do. Somebody say, Praise God. Praise God. Now, I'm not poking fun at speaking in tongues, it's real, it's authentic, it's a gift of the Spirit. If God lays, you on it, lays it on you, go ahead and do what you do. Submit unto God. But be authentic in what you do. We're not here to bounce off walls, sing off chandeliers, and bounce off the walls and run around and do a uh, Shandai in a Honda. And a tie my bow tie. But be for real. Because by the way, I'm one of them. Say, so you do that? Yes. I do that in my prayer closet. Every now and again. Because I want to worship God. Fully devoted. Weapons of warfare unto God. You play a role in overcoming these trials in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. God already did the heavy lifting for you. You play a role. But here's the good news. God already did the heavy lifting for you when he sent his son to die in order that you might have an opportunity to overcome. Second Peter tells us a little bit about what we need to be doing. Now I thought that the word O-U-G-H-T was just in my vocabulary because you all know I got my own, right? Pastor Scott got his own vocab. Like, what you doing? I don't know how you spell that, but that's my translation for what are you doing, right? What you. So I thought ought was not a word. 
like what you ought to be doing, but it is. So 2 Peter tells us a little bit about what you ought to be living like. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You say you're trying to win the fight, right? You're trying to fight the trial. You ought to be living holy and godly. You can't win a battle when you live in how you want to live. You're doing what you want to do. Remember, this is a spiritual battle. So you got to get up in the spiritual levels and live holy and live godly. 2 Peter 3 and 14, he lays it on us again. He said, my dear friends, that means my guy, my dude, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless. That means imitate Christ who was the spotless lamb that was slain for the propitiation of our sins that we might be forgiven. Be spotless. That means imitate Christ, the spotless lamb. Be blameless and be at peace with him. That's what you ought to do. And then he continues in verse 18. But grow in grace. Remember I said Christ did the heavy lifting, right? Grace kept you from what you deserve. Or mercy kept you from what you deserve. Grace gave you what you don't deserve. The gift. The gift of grace. To put sin under your feet. So he follows. You ought to live holy. You ought to live uh, godly. Make every effort to be spotless. Make every effort to be blameless. Be at peace with him. Capital H. That's God the Father. And then therefore grow in grace. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. It is finished. Let it be done. Receipt's been paid. Spiritual maturation or being mature as a Christian is another way of saying being sanctified. Now, we don't preach that message the way that we should preach it, or maybe I should say not nearly as often as we should. To be sanctified means to be separated from the old self onto a path of righteousness and holiness. I'm sanctified. I'm separated from the old man. Separated from the things of the world, not the world itself. Got to live in it, but I can't be of it. I'm of the world. I'm in the world, but not of the world. I've got to sanctify myself from a few things that quite honestly in my flesh, I don't like to separate myself from them. The flesh craves sin. We talk about that all the time. My flesh has a tendency to gravitate towards things that aren't good for me. But I've got to be holy. I've got to be blameless. I've got to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. But my flesh has a tendency to gravitate over here where I get myself into trouble, right? Translate it, trials, tribulations. Think of the trials and tribulation in your life and go back 10 years and think of if I were to live a life that was blameless and spotless and holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, the Bible says, what would my life look like? Would I have experienced the trials in the way 
that I did. But since we have a tendency to sin, our flesh does, and we're trying to live holy and blameless and spotless and acceptable unto God, then we have to learn how to make it a spiritual matter, not just a random problem. A trial is not running out of gas. Like I had all kind of problems today. Yeah, when the yellow light comes on, stop in there and get the gas. The worst person I ever seen in my life running that car on yellow. I'll be with Russ three days in a row and be like, man, your light been on since Monday, man. It's Wednesday. He's like, I'm good. Man, he will run that thing dry. I don't know. He got it down. But you know, sometimes you create your own problems. We're not talking about that little stuff. We're talking about spiritual things that go on in our life and how we can combat them. Sanctification is scattered all over the Bible. I want to read this for you. Man, she got these nice tabs. My wife would like these. You wouldn't even need reading glasses for these. Um, Now, act like y'all don't need them reading glasses. You know, I'm going to speak the truth from up here. I'm going to get in in John 17 here. Like this Bible, John 17. Y'all didn't know you was getting Bible study today, did you? Say, well, Jesus never, did, did Jesus talk about sanctification? Did he blah, blah, blah? Yeah, he did all of that. He talked about living right, y'all. How many of you know Jesus wants you to live right? He didn't come so you could live like, you know, I ain't even going to say it. You live like you want to live. I got to be good up here in the pulpit. I got to honor this, this thing here. I would never. So listen what Jesus said. And I'm going to read a decent bit here for you. It's Jesus praying in uh, John 17, beginning in verse 6. I have manifested your name. To the people whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they obeyed and kept your word. It's talking about the disciples. Now, at last, they know and understand all you have given, given me belongs to you. It's them. For the words that you gave me, I have given them. That means he was bold enough to speak them, they have received those words and accepted. Talking about the words of Jesus. And in reality, I came forth from your presence and they have believed and are conceived that you did send me. They believe. I am praying for them. This is Jesus, man. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, specifically the disciples, for they belong to you. All mine are yours, and all yours belong to me. And I am glorified in them. Mm -hmm. Christ is glorified in them. So what's that say for us today since the disciples aren't here anymore? He must be glorified through who? Somebody say me. He must be glorified through you. While I was with them, I kept and preserved them in your name. That means it's all under control, y'all. God's got this. Preserve them in your name. Those you have given me, I guarded. 
in the midst of your trials and protected and not one of them not even the one of the hundred right not one of them has perished or lost except for basically Judas I'm going to leave some prayer language out of there now I am coming to you, Jesus praying to God the Father, and I say these things while I am still in the world, hadn't descended yet, so that my joy may be full and complete and perfect in them. That's how we've got to live today. I have given and delivered them to your word, and the world has hated them. You're going to have some people that don't like you. Has hated them because you are not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you will keep them and protect them from the evil one, that thief, that deceiver. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here we go. Spiritual maturation. Sanctify them. Separate them, that they might live holy and blameless. Sanctified, to be separated from the things of the world. That means stop doing what the old man did. You've been saved. You've been bought. You've been purchased with a price. Sanctify them. These are the words of Jesus Christ praying. Sanctify them. That they may also be sanctified in truth. Not the deceiver. Neither for these alone do I pray, but also for all of those who will ever come to believe in me through the word of God and its teaching. That prayer that Jesus prayed for the disciples that I just read is also for you today to be sanctified in truth and in the word and in the peace of God. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. I have given them the glory and honor which you have given me. That means he loves you in spite of all that you've done. There's nothing you can do about it. I in them and you in me in order that they may become one perfectly united as a church to combat this world that needs Jesus probably worse than ever. They need us to be able to fight in the midst of trials that, Paul, that James tells us to consider as pure joy. I want you to stand with me if you would.